Well, sorry, we're, we're still trying to figure out what's going on with the sound system, so we'll just have to bear with with some fuzz. And we're coming towards the end of the, the book of Galatians, and the book of Galatians is all about the gospel. The, the, the gospel has two parts, the good news and the bad news, and what we've been saying is the gospel teaches us that we are much more wicked than we would ever care to admit. Yet in Christ, we are loved more than we can imagine. Being clothed in the righteousness of Christ forever. So God treats us as his own son. And now we're in the section of the letter which is telling us, how does God, the gospel, change us? How does believing that God has forgiven everything, past, present, and future, actually mold us into loving people and actually change us? And so let's read it. And we'll, we will see. This is Galatians chapter 5. We're going to read verses 16 through 26. This is the word of our God. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And this is God's word. It's absolutely true, and he gives it to us because he loves us. Let's pray. Well, Father, I ask this morning that you would use your word to, well, to be a mirror, to show us who we are, to show us our need of a Savior, and so that your grace might become present. And so I ask that your spirit would be here to teach us, to show us our desires, and change them so that we might long, uh, long to be loving as you are loving, long to be like you. So change us for your glory, we pray, through this time. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. And probably a good place to start is, do you think change is possible? <laughs> right? You've probably heard of that, that statement before. Nobody can truly change. You know, they're, they're just always going to do that, always going to be that way. Um, an old Puritan pastor, John Flavel, once observed, Talking about ourselves, he said, we are more able to stop the sun in its course than we are to be able to control our own hearts. We are, we are much more able to make rivers run uphill than order and control the desires of our hearts. It's, a, it's pretty poetic in some ways, but it makes a really powerful point that there are days where it seems like change is impossible, where it's very difficult. 
trying to wrestle control over what we want. I mean, if you've ever had any kind of conversation, well, we see it with our kids. They have two of the exact same toys and tell them, you know, just want this one. It's fine. Tell them to change what they want. <laughs> it doesn't work. And it's just as true for us as adults. Talk to an addict. They're just struggling. You know, I, I can't change what I want. And so they get stuck in the cycle. Um, everybody here, I'm sure you're in church because you know, I need help to change. I can't do this on my own. I wish I wasn't like this. And yet, as you read this, Paul is quite clear that if, if you believe in the gospel, the Spirit's going to show up in your life in these things, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. They're going to start appearing in your life, and you're going to change. And so that's what we're going to ask this morning. How does the gospel change people who can't control their hearts to become like Jesus a little more day by day? And so to do that, and this is what the gospel does, it, it, it attacks, it goes right on the offensive. It attacks the things that we want. And so to, to approach what Paul is teaching us here, we need to see that the context for change is conflict. Conflict between what we want and what God wants for us. Right. So that's first point. So look at verse 17. Paul says, the flesh desires against the spirit. And the spirit desires against the flesh, and these things are opposed to one another, so you cannot do what you desire. And it sounds almost pessimistic, right? But, but the first point is that the context for change is war. War between what we want. Right? So just because you have the Holy Spirit by faith in Christ it doesn't mean you now live happily ever after with Jesus. <laughs> in some ways, it gets harder. And it doesn't mean we're nev you're never going to be impatient. It doesn't mean you're never going to um, get angry again. It doesn't mean you're going to go. It doesn't mean Christian growth is now like a, a line that's shooting you straight up to heaven. Right? If that's you, please talk to me because I need help. <laughs> no. I mean, when you become a Christian, sure, initially, there are, you can hear these stories of joy of how I once struggled with these things, you know, I, I've heard them, uh, drinking, smoking, um, just negativity, anxiety. The gospel shows up in people's lives in powerful ways, but then eventually the honeymoon stage wears off, and the things that we thought we were done with start to show up again. Paul says it's normal. There's, there's a war going on. Because right? you're going to find yourself, and I find myself, doing the things that we thought we were done with, wanting things that we know are not pleasing to God, all at the same time while wanting to please God. Right? If that sounds a little... Right, we've got two, two natures, two sides. And what happens then, right, you, you, we've all been in this, this cycle, this path, where guilt sets in because I'm breaking God's law and we know it. Because the Spirit makes us more sensitive to these things. And then shame creeps in where you say, I'm just a mess, I know better. We are Christians after all, and Jesus died for, my, for that sin. And it's all this point. The change is war, it's a battle. 
It's not something that you can just wake up and say, okay, I'm going to do this. It's going to change right now, just purely by effort. It's going to be, it's, it's war. And becoming a Christian doesn't take it away. And so think of it this way. Believing the gospel is what we've been talking about, means that the Holy Spirit now comes and dwells in you by faith. And so the way that I've heard it put, it's like God unzips you and the Holy Spirit now climbs inside of you and he zips you back up. And now you're a temple of the living God. You have a new roommate, God himself, love himself. And before that happened, (laughs) the only roommate was you. It was yourself, your desires. The only person there was the dragon known as yourself. When you could do whatever it is you wanted. This This is how I like to think of it. I think this is helpful to think of your think of your selfish desires as a dragon, serpent-like. Because you know the stories, right? Well, the Hobbit just came out. What does the dragon do? They have this insatiable desire for gold, and they are willing to do anything to protect it. Right? The dragon's just a picture of unrestrained desire that sometimes turns violent. So it helps visualize the battle that we're talking about here. And so what Paul is telling you that we still have these desires of the flesh. We are dragonish. You, you and I, myself included, we have these dragonish desires that still linger. Right? Kids, you guys know this. You, you have a dragon inside you. Right? Have you ever gotten mad because somebody's touched your stuff? Moms and dads should be raising their hand, too. (laughs) Of course you do. We scream, we roar, we breathe fire, or we think we do, and people get hurt. We scream, mine. And in worst cases, violence ensues. That war, that, that reality is still in us. And so Paul's saying, when you become a Christian, these two things happen. The Holy Spirit moves in, and he's going to start to do war with the dragonish desires that you and I have inside our hearts. And as you become a Christian, yeah, the, the dragon is mortally wounded. That's verse 24 here, that, that all those who um, have come to Christ, their desires and passions have been crucified with Christ. But it's still there. It's still ra- he still raises his head. So, I'm trying to encourage you, <laughs> believe it or not, that if, you, if this is describing the nature of your heart, this is good news. Because that means if you're at war between what God wants you to do and between what you want to do, that's a sign that the Holy Spirit really has moved in. God himself is doing battle with the dragon of your desires. It's good news. I, mean, I, I think of this as you go through the list of the works of the flesh, those who have just burst in anger once again this past week. Um, sexual immorality that still plagues. Um, just not getting along with one another. Paul's saying the Holy Spirit has been given to you to continue the fight that Jesus started. And he's, the Holy Spirit is going to be with you in this war to change the desires of your heart for the rest of your life. He's going to bring you home. 
So that's war. Yeah. But you have help. Right? So let me help make a connection for you here. Remember last week we talked about Jesus' baptism. And this, this is the pattern of the Christian life. All we are doing is being called to follow in the footsteps of our Savior. But dramatically, what happened? Jesus was baptized. The Holy Spirit came down. And Jesus heard these words, You are my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Jesus, you are my Son. You are perfect. You've earned it. You're the one I'm thrilled with. And immediately after, what, is, what happens? It says, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tested. And where was he tested? On, on the battlefield of his desires with Satan. The serpent, the dragon, so to speak, says, Jesus, if you are the Son of God, turn this rock into bread. You're hungry. Are you going to let yourself be controlled by your desires, Jesus? And he responds by saying, oh, man does not live by a bread alone, but by the very word of God. Jesus is saying, my desires are controlled by God himself. And so that's the point. This is the pattern for God's people. When you come to faith and you're told, because of what Jesus has done, you are God's beloved child. You're the one he's thrilled with because of what Jesus has done. You're going to be led by the Spirit and you're called to go to war with your desires. Same pattern. The Holy Spirit leads us right into the desert minefield of desire to go out and slay the dragon, to keep, to keep it dead, to keep it pinned to the cross, so to speak. Right? So this is the context of the fruit of the Spirit. It's a, you're going to bear fruit. You're going to become more loving, more kind, more patient, in the midst of a war, in a battle zone. Like I said, this number one, this is encouraging because that means God is working in you. He wants you to become like Jesus. And it, if you become a Christian, you know what this is like. It's like a switch gets flipped, and all of a sudden you're bothered by what you're doing. I don't know how else to explain it. Paul, this is more descriptive. Just says, all of a sudden, I want to change the things that I didn't even know I needed to change. It's a sign that God is working. It's a, this war is a sign that God is fighting for you. He sent the Holy Spirit to fight you. And if you are being led by the Spirit, according to Paul, you can overcome the desires of the flesh. Now, if we only had verse 17, it would be, this would be depressing. It sounds like a, a stalemate. In some ways, right? The desires of the flesh are fighting against the desires of the spirit. The desires of the spirit are, are fighting against the desires of the flesh. And this thing is happening so you never get what you want <laughs> on both sides of the equation. But so here's what I want to do. I want us to be able to better understand what it is the Holy Spirit is fighting so that you can see how supernatural it is when the fruit of the Spirit does show up in your life. Because this is a promise. The Holy Spirit will come. So, let's get to know the dragon that is ourself. How, how does your heart and my heart work according to Paul? First, you see that the desires of the flesh used in verse 16 
is also being described as being under the law. It's a pretty strange way of, of talking. Paul's saying that being under God's law can have the same effect as your desires for sinful things. It's going to result in the works of the flesh. They're parallel statements. And so right at the beginning, what Paul's telling us, telling me, as he describes this conflict, he's saying that the dragon will not be killed simply by being told what to do. We've already talked about this in Galatians. I don't feel the need to go back over it, but Paul's repeating this for us. Right. Second, the word used to describe the desires of our flesh, it might actually be in your, your translation as the lusts of the flesh. And the, the way, you know, the problem for, for us, that word lust has sexual connotations, right? That we, we've narrowed it down to one particular thing. But the word that, that Paul using is using here is, is much bigger. It's the Greek word epithumia. The only reason I'm using it is because it's all over the New Testament. But literally it means an over-desire, a controlling desire, an epic desire. And so what Paul is telling you, and what he's telling me, what God is telling us, that the problem every human being has is we just have this desire that we cannot control. The problem is not that we, we want bad things. It's, it's most often that we want good things too much. You see it? The desires of the flesh, the lusts of the flesh, this all-consuming passion, I need to get what I want, good or bad, will turn into quarreling, fighting, sexual immorality, jealousy, rage. That's what Paul's saying is dragon-like. That's the image. The image of our heart to describe our sin and selfishness, lust, the epic desire. You guys know how this works, right? If you Picture somebody who wants more than anything else to be successful. It's a good thing. It's, a, it's good to want to succeed at your job, to do things well, to do it for God's glory. To make something beautiful, that's, that's imitating the God who made us. We are made in God's image. We are made to create. But we all know how that spirals out of control. How it turns into a relentless desire to be the best and pride. How competition can breed arrogance, cheating, lying, right? If I'm going to be the best, if I'm going to succeed, wh why shouldn't I take this money just to get ahead? Why shouldn't I deceive? This is what Paul is saying is going on each and every day in our hearts. We are fighting an enemy, and the enemy is us. The dragon of desire wants something so bad that we don't care what happens. God and his will is left behind. And so just, just to help you better understand your Bible, right? in the Old Testament, the way they talked about it, was idolatry. Things that became more important than God himself, and they ran away, and they went off and worshipped other gods. The way the, the same word, the same idea in the New Testament, 
is this epithumia. You're going to find it in every letter, every book. This is the way Jesus describes sin. It's saying our desires just run rampant. I'll give you another place. Romans 124. God gave them up to the passions, the desires of their heart. And it describes the process. It says they exchange their creator for creation. And then it just lists all kinds of horrible things. It says it clouds your mind. You can no longer think straight. You can't think clearly about right and wrong. You're going to find envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, gossip, slander, hate God, be insolent, haughty, boastful, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. And though they know what is right, God's righteous decree, that those who practice such things deserve to die. Those who not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. That's brutal. But this is what Paul is saying. This is the disease that infects every heart. That, that, that pesky dragon, that desire, is not dead. We're still in danger. So look at the list in Galatians 5. This will be helpful. Paul only lists 15 things. We're not going to go through each and every one of them because there's several ways to, to organize them. You know, one way is to notice that seven of them, are nor you would probably use them to describe uh, the sins of non-believers, people outside the church. Uh, sexual immorality, drunkenness, idolatry, witchcraft. But eight of them could be described well, you can find them in every church. Selfish ambition, bur bursts of rage, divisions, envy. I mean, there are more listed here that describe religious folks than non-religious folks. And if you think about it, I think what Paul's trying to t show us is that we in the church we're so quick to point out how bad sexual immorality and, and, and say these other things aren't as bad. And Paul says, no, look, same list, the works of the flesh. Saying we can't look out at the world and say they're so horrible. <laughs> Their sin stinks worse than mine. Hmm. On the one hand, religious people can't look out in the world and say you... You filthy sinners, you pagans, you're a mess. And at the same time, he's putting these lists together, us non, the, the non-religious people. Paul's saying, you're not getting off the hook either. You can't say you self-righteous hypocrites. Paul's saying, just everybody look in the mirror. I mean, just look at the list. You got sexual immorality, that's any kind of sexual behavior that takes place outside of a marriage between a man and a woman, and then a couple other words to describe this just general, general lack of restraint, impurity, and sensuality. Idolatry and sorcery. It sounds odd to our ears, but it's anything that is more important to God. 
and, and sorcery, witchcraft, it's just saying all the different ways that we, we manipulate to get what we want. Then you got a whole list of social sins, hating one another, strife, not getting along, selfish ambition, using others to get ahead, dissensions, my group is better than your group, envying, not being content with what God has given you, drunkenness, carousing. I mean, it might say orgies in your translation. I mean, it's just saying out of control, eating and drinking. And so that would include overeating and undereating. Paul says things like these. I'm just getting started. And then comes the shocking statement at the end. All those who are present tense practicing these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Saying you're not God's child in Christ. It just describes the overarching pattern of your life. If it's a habit. And it's, it's the language, I want to, it's trying to draw a line here between, yeah, we're, we're sinners, but Paul is saying if these things, if this is all that your life is, you can't say I have the Holy Spirit. Now, I know I've said in the past that we're not under the law, but you can see why Paul is now saying Behavior is still important. It's showing you whether you believe or not. That God really does care about behavior and character, that this ongoing, unrepentant, I don't want to stop this kind of attitude, is saying, I'm going to let the dragon rule my life. And it's a, it's a warning, Paul says. Hmm. So, can't sugarcoat it. I just want to say, don't hear the warning without hearing point one that, yeah, every Christian is in a war. But if, it, if you're saying, I don't know if I have the Holy Spirit, come talk to us. We all have things that aren't changing. The sign that you want to change is the sign of the, the Holy Spirit is in you. Now, we've seen that the context for change is war. Just getting to know the desire, the way our heart works. It's the desires just taking over. How do you do battle against this? How do you change what you want? And Paul says, look, it's, it's the work of the Holy Spirit. This is point number three. Right? And what he does is he gives us a farming metaphor. So we're going to switch gears a little bit. We're at war, but we're also farming. <laughs> he says how you know that you have put your faith in the gospel these things love, joy, peace, patience, kindness they're going to show up in your life I mean, after all that negativity reality Paul's saying don't give up hope because God is working in you he's growing in you something you could never produce on your own but the gospel is the power of God that has been planted in your heart and it's going to grow and it's going to bear fruit and you're going to find yourself being selfless when you never thought it was possible. So let's, let's think about this. Meditate on the, the image. If you're going to plant an orchard, 
What do you need? <laughs> a seed, which is the gospel, and, and an incredible amount of patience. <laughs> it takes time. I mean, you just take an apple tree for an example. The, the small apple trees take three to four years before they're bearing fruit. A normal apple tree, a big one, can take four to eight years. It can take eight, up to eight years before you actually get fruit. And all it's Paul's saying is using this metaphor of fruit, this change is slow. It can be gradual. And it's not something you can will to happen. Right? When you're a kid, right, you remember going to the, the amusement park and saying, oh, man, I wish I was tall enough to ride that roller coaster. You can just stand there all you want and flex your muscles. You're not going to get any taller. <laughs> That's what Paul's saying. Fruit of the Spirit, change, real change. Through God's power, it's going to take time. It's a farming process. And really, God is content to work in decades. To stop and think about it. That's the pattern in the scriptures. How long did it take Abraham to stop lying to everyone about his wife? Telling everyone she was a sister. Change takes time. Faith is a process. But it's inevitable. You can't avoid it. Because there is a power behind it. This is what Paul wants you to see. It's, it's God himself, the Holy Spirit, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is now flowing through your veins, a partaker of the divine nature. There's this great story told by a British minister who was at a cemetery. You might have heard this one before. And 600 years ago, when he, from when he was there, an acorn had fallen into the grave, and the grave was covered by this big marble slab. And so bit by bit, this acorn grew. First it was a little shoot. And it grew into a tree. And over time, that small little acorn, that small little seed, grew into a tree that split the marble slab in half. There is immense power in gradual change. The fruit of the Spirit takes time. But because you have the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, by faith, fighting for you, it will happen. Now, look at the fruit of the Spirit. How do you know you're changing? It's what I want you guys to think about and myself to think about as we look at these. It's not saying look at what you're doing. It's describing character. The change is internal. Right? So yeah, so on the one hand, we are absolutely saved by grace and accepted by God through faith alone. Nothing else matters other than faith. But what Paul is showing you is that if you are saved by faith alone, that faith will never remain alone. It will bear fruit. He's talking about character change. Look at it. You've got love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It's internal going going to war against your desires right. and so I, I just want to give a warning don't don't be tempted to use 
your gifts to determine how fruitful you are being. First Corinthians 13, if I give away all that I have and have not love, I'm nothing. Paul's saying, if you don't have love, if you don't have the character, the desire, what you're doing lately, it doesn't matter. So yeah, change is slow, according to Paul. It's unavoidable. It will happen. It has to be organic. It's got to grow as our heart is changed. And one last thing here. Paul uses the singular term fruit. And yet he goes off and, and annoys every grammar person out there <laughs> and gives a plurality of fruit. And here's what I think he's saying. He's saying all this change, the fruit comes together. But you can't go and say, I'm going to go work on one aspect of fruit right now. <laughs> right? He's saying it's one piece of fruit that is multifaceted, that if you look at it, it's all connected. I'll explain this here. I'll pick on me. Generally, I'm told, especially when I was a youth pastor and there was just chaos as boys and teens were just running around, that I have a more laid-back demeanor and patient. And my kids have proven me otherwise. <laughs> but think about it. We all have a natural bent to, to our personality where you can look at yourself and say, I have some of these things. I'm kind. I'm generous. Sometimes I'm humble. I think I'm patient sometimes. We're patient about some things. And Paul's saying, you can't have patience without having the rest of the package. Think about it. How can you bear with difficult people and difficult situations without some semblance of humility? He's saying, it's not about me right now. Now, there are some of us who are patient naturally because we don't offend. We don't want to offend anyone. You can be patient without humility. If you really think about it, can you, can you be patient in hard times without any kind of external joy? Knowing that it will come to an end, that there are good things in the future, that God himself has saved you. I mean, you can be stoic. You can go through it and appear to be patient. But without joy, you're not going to have any real life to your patience. I mean, we could take a long time and go through each and every one of these, but to, to be patient, to, be, to persevere, it requires all the fruit to come together. So, conclusion. Change is organic. It's inevitable. It's internal. And it is slow. And Paul's saying, if you've come to faith, if you've put your, if you've come to understand that God loves you despite the way you are in Christ and that you have his righteousness, you are his beloved child, it's going to produce in you a life of love. So what do you do? That's the question, right? This is what we've done. We've said, there's something wrong with me. God's working in us. What do we do to change? And Paul's command to us, he says, I want you to be led by the Spirit. 
to keep in step with the Spirit, verse 25. It says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. So I want to leave you with this big picture that we all have this dragon that's seeking to control us, leading us, wanting to lead us away from the God of grace. And what the Holy Spirit does to fight that is he has desires. What, is, what does the Holy Spirit want more than anything else? Because he is a person, a lust, so to speak. for you and I to know Jesus. To see Christ crucified for you. And the Holy Spirit, his job, according to Jesus, is going to come to you, Jesus says, and he's going to glorify me, which means everything the Holy Spirit is coming to do is to show you how fantastic, how beautiful Jesus is. To make you into the bride of Christ and as the bride to look at your groom and say, wow, he, he loves me. can do it for you this morning. Look at the fruit of the Spirit again. Who do you think Paul's looking at as he comes up with this list? It's Jesus. The one who in love came to die for sinners, for his enemies. All out of the joy set before him that he might have you, showing what he desired more than anything else. He patiently deals with us as we try and fight and change. He's so much better and more generous than we deserve. If you look at the life of Christ, all these fruit, they come together. They manifest themselves in the different situations that Jesus goes through. And so that's what the Holy Spirit's doing. He's just saying, I want you to see Jesus. That's my consuming desire so that you would look like Jesus. And so what do you do? Keep in step with that. Walk by the Spirit. It's, it's a military image of, of following in line, of looking at what the Spirit's looking at. Stay in formation. What it's saying is the Holy Spirit is leading us by longingly looking at Christ crucified and we're called to do the same. To see how much God lusted after you. If I could put it that way. And that's what gets you to turn your affections. To change. Because if you see, as we're going to do as we come to the table here. If you see how strong. How controlling how focused on you and me Jesus' desire is to the point of death on a cross. It starts to put all these good things in perspective. It's not the most important. <laughs> I can love my family, but I know there's a greater love out there. Right? So as we get ready to come to the table, we're going to pray here. This is what the Spirit's going to use to turn your affections from the things of this world to get them on your God, who's had his affections on you before the foundation of the world. Let's pray.
But Father, there was a lot to look at here in this passage. To get to know ourselves, but also to see that you really are working in us. To enrapture the, the gaze of our hearts with the sight of someone who loves us more than we can even imagine. So I pray now that you would use this time to bear fruit in our lives. So that as we go back into the places where you have called us, we would be witnesses. And so when the fruit appears, we can smile and say, man, my God is with me. Thank you for doing that. So mold us and change us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me ask the elders to come.